Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. From Flushing Meadows in New York City, we welcome you to a Tuesday edition of Tennis Channel Live, our pregame coverage at the U.S. Open 2019. First day back to school, back to work after the Labor Day holiday. Quarterfinals begin today. Eight men and eight women are remaining as we join you from the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. And we get going on day nine. Have the stars finally aligned for Serena? It appears the draw has of the eight women remaining. She's the only one who's ever played a Grand Slam semi, let alone a final. Has the path been cleared for Major 24? It's been cleared a little for Roger Federer with Novak Djokovic losing on Sunday. Roger has one less obstacle in his path towards winning this title for the first time in 11 years. But one rather large obstacle is still front and center. Rafa Nadal made the quarters last night with some pretty high-profile support behind him. Are we headed towards our first-ever Rafa and Roger showdown at the Open? From the Rocket Tennis Channel desk, we say good morning to you and welcome to Tennis Channel Live on a Tuesday, day nine of the Open with Jim Courier and Martina Navratilova and John Wertheim. I'm Brett Haber. rest of our Tennis Channel team will be along throughout the morning. We've got neither of the number ones left in this tournament, but we do have an interesting mix of newcomers and usual suspects as we start the quarterfinals. Jim, what are you thinking about on this Tuesday? That's got me thinking about the possibilities of finally getting that Rafa and Roger showdown here. Obviously, with Novak going out, that opens up a little bit of of room for Roger at the top. But I'm looking at the draw, and I'm still basically penciling Nadal into the final. I mean, do Mm -hmm. I think that Diego Schwartz can play him tough? He's done it at Roland Garros, but never beaten him. Benettini Monfils, I just don't see it. And for Roger, I really feel like there's a threat up there with Stan that still exists that could prevent it. But it's looking better. Let's put it that way. Okay. I'm sparing a thought for uh, Sasha Zverev, who has uh, had a dismal major year um, by his standards where he should be. High hopes after winning the season in the championships, uh, the Masters, and then the only player that he lost to, should have lost to, is Djokovic. The rest, first round loss at Wimbledon, uh, round of 16 at the Australian, round of 16 yesterday against Schwarzman. He can do better, and I hope that he figures things out so that he can have a much better year next year. Mm-hmm. On a happier note, uh, I'm thinking about Bianca Andreescu, who, can, can this be right, is playing in her very first main draw of the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. We talk about big match experience, handling the pressure, handling the ranking points on the line and the opportunity. It also means handling atmospherics. And Bianca Andreescu, a teenager from Canada, comes out after Rafa Nadal, holiday weekend, 23,000 seat stadium, playing an American, and she handled it all masterfully. Her tennis has been a revelation this summer. So has her ability to handle these situations. Just her fourth major, just her 12th tour level <laughs> tournament of any kind anywhere. More on BB Andrescu coming up in the show. Here's what else is on the three-hour extravaganza this morning. Hall of Famer Mats Wielander joins us in studio. The seven-time major champion will give us his take on the final eight at the U.S. Open, and he'll tell us why Idaho is the new tennis hotspot in America. Lindsay and Martina will join Mary in the coach's corner as they dissect what went wrong for Naomi Osaka yesterday and what the remedy might be. And Marty Fish chops it up with Paul in today's installment of Coaching in the Bigs. 
He's the new Davis Cup captain, getting ready to name his team for Madrid and much more ahead over the next three hours. We do want to take a check on social media. On this Tuesday morning, people buzzing about the loss of Naomi Osaka yesterday. Tennis.com points out that this is the first time in the Open era, John, that both number one seeds have lost at the Open before the quarterfinals. Now, strangely, both of those defeats, Favrinka beating Djokovic and, of course, Benchit Osaka, not huge upsets, but you know what? If the prospect of Roger Rafa and Serena Williams still on the draw, is the payoff for that? I suspect most people would would happily sign up. Well, if Serena Williams played a full schedule, she probably would be number one in the world. So the rankings kind of go out of the wayside when Serena Williams is in the field. But uh, still, uh, amazing that this happened for the first time in 52 years. Yeah, I, I think about I go back to when Pete Sampras was a defending champion, and he went into his press conference after he lost in the quarterfinals, and, and he expressed relief that the, that it was over. And it was nice to see Naomi Osaka say how much she'd learned. Mm -hmm. from this open so different I mean obviously Pete figured it out but Pete didn't have kind of the reaction that you would hope for your defending champion at the time Naomi coming out of the back end of a tough loss with some positivity rough tournament to be number one and playing a Swiss opponent in the first week they both lost to one seven trains coming into the station it'll help us dissect all the big storylines at the open on this Tuesday back in just a moment Traffic and weather together. The traffic stinks in New York today because everybody's going back to school and work after Labor Day. The weather, though, is better than yesterday. The rain has moved out high, about 83. Winds around 7 will cool things off, and we do continue to send all of our good energy to the folks dealing with Dorian along the Atlantic coast. Here's the rundown of feature matches on Ash today. We start with England's Joe Conta, who knocked out the three-seed Carolina Pliskova on Sunday. She now gets the five-seed Elena Svitolina. Stan Wawrinka, fresh off his upset of Novak Djokovic, tries to back it up against hottest player in tennis this summer, Daniel Medvedev. Tonight, Serena, now three wins away from that 24th major, gets China's Wang Chiang and the nightcap. Mini-Fed against real Fed. Federer against a resurgent Grigor Dimitrov. All right, time for our daily ride on the 7 train. It is, as you know by now, the best way to get out here to the U.S. Open and our daily vehicle for discussing the seven big storylines unfolding at the U.S. Open. We're back on a weekday schedule, so we hop right into car number one, which is for the world number one, but she will no longer be the world number one as of Monday. That's because Naomi Osaka's title defense ended yesterday against Belinda Bencic. How'd she do it, Martina? Well, Bencic has Osaka's number. She knows uh, the tendencies that Osaka has. Benchy just a better all-around player. She was 10 for 10 when she was at the net. Osaka, on the other hand, two out of six. This is one of those reasons. She's too predictable with her volleys. Uh, Benchy stayed home. And just a really clean match from both players, both in the positive. But the heavy air made it difficult for Osaka to put the ball away and just made uh, too many errors. And Benchy rightfully yeah. won that match. So that's three wins this year for Bencic over Osaka. Why, why has this been such a problematic matchup for her? Well, I think the tennis IQ of Belinda Bencic is, is extraordinary. And when you're coming at her with pure firepower, she can probably solve that. I sat courtside for the second set of this match yesterday. Very humid conditions because it was rainy here in New York. The roof closing captured that humidity. It was a slow track, and that made it better for Bencic to be able to outmaneuver Osaka. And that's really what happened here. She can't overpower her, but she outthought her, I thought. She can hit the ball, though. I was really impressed. Yeah. We sort of have this, this cut and paste that she's Martina Hingis 2.0. She hits a harder ball than Martina Hingis. She leads the tour as the graphic showed in top five wins. 
also in top 10 wins. Remember, she was a quarter finalist here six years ago as a 17-year-old. You know, so this is a player with experience, had some injury trouble, but I'm not sure that's such a big upset. No, no it's not. Bencic on the road to Shenzhen to the WTA yeah. finals. Yeah. Uh, but Bencic is seven, Osaka five. So very, very little uh, uh, distinguishing. And again, Bencic is a really good matchup or a bad matchup for Osaka. She knows exactly what she yeah. needs to do. Let's have a getaway thought on, on Naomi Osaka so she didn't uh, defend her title. But it did seem like a, a lot of good things happened to her on and off the court overall. Was this a, a positive return to New York for Naomi? Overall, yes. Um, on, on the human level, absolutely. On a tennis level, ah, yeah, no. Uh, because when you win a title, you want to get further than that. Yeah, I think the same. I think the, I think the way she composed herself and comported herself against Coco Goff was a revelation. But the fact remains, she hasn't won a title since Australia. So it's been an interesting 12 months for Naomi. Yeah, look, I think the reality is she was pretty candid about the struggles she's had in adjusting to her new spot at the top of the game with all the attention. She won't be number one when she leaves here, but I think she should go away with a little bit of, of wind in her sails and some optimism because she was really unhappy yeah. through the, the middle of part of the season. She seemed a lot better here. She was smiling quite a bit yeah. more. That was noticeable. So uh, tip of the cap to Naomi, whose U.S. Open is over. Car number two is for the NAFTA showdown last night between Canada's Bianca Andrescu, American Taylor Townsend. Taylor served and volleyed her way through qualies into the second week of a major for the first time, but John Beebe was ready. And look at that lob. That's a shot we don't see a lot. Uh, we don't see a lot of serve and volleying either. Taylor made this a match by winning the second set, but Andrescu is a player who also can play in the minor keys. She actually, get this, she won more points at the net than Taylor Townsend did wow. last night. This was an entertaining match. Andrescu was supposed to win. She did win. But I do want to stop and pause and say, Taylor Townsend, what a U.S. Open. So here we are sitting with one of the great servant volleyers in history. What do you do when you come up against what Taylor came up against yesterday, an opponent who's passing you pretty handily? Well, Taylor came out servant volleying, but she got passed too many times. So she adjusted and stayed back more. She won more points on her second serve than her first serve, which tells me that she thought better during the second serve, but the first serve needs to be a little less predictable, and also her volleying needs to be less predictable. She goes cross-court all the time because of her technique, and Andrescu knew that. She had the book on her. She knew she was closing a lot, so she knew where to go with her shots. Yeah, the surprise element wasn't there for Andrescu right. that it seemed like it was in the, the prior two matches where uh, Taylor came in 106 times and 70-something times in the prior two matches, just 40 times because she recognized that she was up against someone who was ready for it. She had to make the adjustments. When you do that, you need to be a little bit smarter with your serving and recognize what you're receiving off the return. The serve plus one, then attack. That, that's a, a move. But uh, listen, overall, what an amazing tournament for Taylor. Heck I mean, yeah. she, she's going right up this way Fantastic. in the rankings, but Andrescu remains one of the big favorites for this tournament. Yeah. Point about Andrescu, you mentioned the Shenzhen finals, the top eight players. Right now, Andrescu qualified to go. Keep in mind, she missed basically the entire clay court season. She has not lost a match outright since March 1st. This streak she is on is phenomenal. She has only played 12 tournaments in her life. More on Andrescu later in the show. But let's go to car number three, which is for U.S. Open champ Rafa Nadal. Took on another former U.S. Open champ in Marin Cilic last night. Did get challenged, dropped a set, but uh, that was the extent of it, Jim. Yeah, Cilic came with a lot of firepower, took the second set, and then Nadal made an adjustment. Look at the balletic move from Rafa. What an athlete he is. Uh, but he also is a great problem solver himself, like Andrescu. He changed his return to serve position on second serves by nine feet closer to the baseline mm. between the, the second and the third set. 
that took time away from Chilich, got him back on the front foot. He was jacked up. That guy's pretty jacked himself. He is. The Masters winner in attendance. And he got to see his good buddy Nadal come up with some absolute gems like this bend oh. around the post. Oh. <laughs> that was the next to last point of the match. And let's see, Martina, how's this happen? Well, he hit it deep enough so he could get it around the post and still be inside the court. Uh, you can't practice that, but you can uh, create genius once in a while. This is an awful nice way to close out a match for Nadal. You look at his draw. Things are looking good. He looks healthy. Boy, nice first eight days of the tournament for the winner two years ago. So for 30 or 40 minutes there in the second set, Chilich had him uncomfortable for the first time really in this tournament. What, what was the recipe for that period of time? Well, Chilich had him pinned back and he was not letting go. I mean, that's the thing with Nadal. He's usually so good at standing really deep to return serve and then quickly getting back up on, on top of the baseline. But Chilich has big firepower off of both wings and he was just letting the arrows fly and forcing Nadal to go left, right, left, right instead of up and back, which is what Nadal wanted to do. So that was what was so critical about that adjustment. Nadal just started on top of the baseline on the second serve returns and then he didn't concede his ground. So that was a a smart move from Rafa. Talk about problem solving. Took so much time away from the very, very tall Chilich. It takes him a lot of time to get organized after the serve, and Rafa just made that adjustment. He's one of the few people that can make such a huge adjustment and make it pay off immediately. I'm still struck by the health of Nadal. There have been so many times where he's come here. It's the fourth event of the year. It's the hard courts, and it's been like MedMD. We <laughs> ask about wrists and taping and strapping. There's been no talk about Rafa Nadal physically. That's so nice to see, especially at age 33. Yeah, of the big four, Murray has been hurt. Djokovic is out with a retirement. Rafa rolling right along, healthy as an ox. Let's go to car number four. That's Diego Schwartzman and Sasha Zverev. And the serving problems continue for Sasha Zverev. They got worse, in fact. 17 double faults as he went down to Schwartzman and Forsyth. So much of the tennis in this era, it, we're just awestruck by what we're seeing, the amazing shot making. This was the reverse of that. This was watching a, a top player really struggle with confidence on his second serve. And in real time, watching the serve speeds drop and drop and drop. Let's tip our cap to Diego Schwartzman. Didn't drop a set en route to this round. Dropped the first set with the lead in hand, but then just stiffened his resolve and polished the match off. But this match, as much as we respect and admire Diego Schwartzman, is about what is going on with Sasha's Zverev serve. It's been in a rapid descent this summer. The confidence crisis is real. His average second serve speed last year, when he had no issues whatsoever, 103 miles an hour. Montreal, it was 100. And it's just been dropping ever since. And in yesterday's match, it was really, really, really difficult to watch him struggle with this. I have so much admiration that he was able to still fight through in the ground stroke rallies and not let it completely deteriorate the rest of his, ga his game. But this is a major, major, major problem, and, and we hope he's able to solve it quickly. I mean, it seems to be, to me, mental, because technically there's nothing wrong with his serve, but he actually hit one serve, second serve, the, the, the bottom of the net, and he did not mishit it. So he needs to fix that here, uh, not here, but I think he, he'll be able to do it. But also yesterday, I think he ran out of gas. Those points were way too long. For a guy that's that tall and that lanky and that powerful, he needs to keep the points shorter, which means 
better finishes at the net, but that serve has got to be fixed first. You guys know this better than I do, I'm sure, but when you see these double faults, you sense this miles per hour on the serve dropping, that's something the opponent on the other side of the net oh, is intuiting, using a strategy. I credit Diego Schwartzman with really a, a career win for him. That was just a, a great effort, but I think one of the problems with these double faults is that the player on the other side of the net knows it and they knows what that encapsulates. So, by the way, Schwartzman has been training at the Rafael Nadal Academy on Mallorca. Now he gets to try out against the boss. Let's go to the next car, car number five, which is for Team Coco. Coco Goff and Katie McNally had never lost a doubles match at any level. In fact, they had never lost a set together until yesterday, Martina, when they ran into Vika and Ash Barty. Well, uh, yeah, they ran into a much better team. It's the old welcome to the NFL uh, statement would really apply here. The first set they ever lost, they lost in a bagel. They were just overpowered in every aspect of the game, but they had a full, uh, full stadium of people watching once again, and uh, we'll see what happens next. Good day for Ash Barty, too. You win a doubles match and you take over the number one ranking. Uh, disappointment that she lost in singles, but nice day yesterday for Ash. This was a different level of competition, and these two players, each of whom have won a Grand Slam in singles, showed the teenagers a thing or two. Quite a bit of uh, doubles out on the grandstand court. A great place to be yesterday once the rain dissipated. And last year's men's champions faced off against each other. Mike Bryan and Jack Sock won it last year. This year, Bob and Mike back together. Jack Sock playing with Jackson Withrow. Sock and Withrow with the win over there. So the Bryans are out. Uh, Jack Sock's title defense continues. We'll have more on that in the uh, world-famous doubles segment coming up later it in the show. Famous, but but what, 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 is, what is Coco supposed to do now, right? She can only play a couple of events for the next six or seven months. Should she go train somewhere? Should she go be a kid? What? All of the above. Uh, just learn, take in what you learned. And then I think this shows her what she needs to do with her game. So you've got a big chunk of time where you can really work on uh, work on the weaknesses and, and improvements and uh, don't worry about the ranking don't worry about when you play in the next room and work on your game yeah but but she should still try and get a little match play here and there she is allowed to play in exhibitions and she should try and get some live ball exhibitions to try and put whatever she's practicing into Absolutely. play because that's a long stretch right. if, you, if she doesn't play again until Australia which I guess would be the, the proper strategy that's a long time to go without playing with any tension no right. substitute for match play but even exhibition even though it's not real it's still performing in front of a whole bunch right. of people yeah. all attention is on her so that's a good stressor there but this, this is the underbelly of these age eligibility rules isn't mm. it that uh, we're trying to set up these guardrails but it also means you come to the US Open you show your bona fides you play well you play well in doubles and then you shut it down for and years. make a lot of money <laughs> so we'll try to get her some yeah, hidden exactly. giggles without without the giggles so much more, more than hitting okay oh, that's later, okay good I'm looking forward to that let's go to car number six as we look ahead to tonight's match between Serena and Wan Chiang Serena had a pretty straightforward match in the last round against Petra Mardich except for that moment where she appeared to have a pretty nasty ankle issue what's our level of concern John about that as we head into tonight yeah that's that's the right ankle it was taped she's not grimacing doesn't appear to be in, in great agony so that was good to see and she closed out the match I saw Patrick Mortoglu, her coach yesterday, who sort of said he didn't want to talk superstitiously about the draw, but things were looking good. No talk of injuries. Serena, for the second match in a row, has never faced her opponent before, which is curious for this stage of a major and a 37-year-old player. But boy, Serena Williams. If you, if you said to her, hey, listen, it's second Tuesday of the U.S. Open, the only top 10 seed remaining beside yeah. yourself is Svitolina, you're signing up for that. Yeah, the, the, the draw has definitely opened up. The concern was her ankle. I've sprained my ankle many times, and the fact that she was able to finish the match and wasn't really in pain, it didn't look like, uh, I think she'll be, she'll she be fine. She was here yesterday. And, yeah. 
it's it's not that bad, thankfully. It feels like she she'll be fine, yeah. but you just when you haven't played someone and and she's a good mover, Wong. She's a good athlete, pretty tall gal. I, I don't know. I, I'm always just a little bit worried in, in these matches when there's not maybe as much hype that there could be a little bit of a letdown. So I uh, saw a little bit of that with Naomi. I'm just a little bit cautious. I want Serena to be on her guard for this match tonight. I think she is. You may not know Wang Chiang that well, but she's 18 in the world. She's beaten some top players, Pliskova a couple times. She's beaten Venus. Could be interesting in that match tonight. Let's go to the caboose, car number seven. That's for Roger. Yes, he's won here five times, but the last of those five titles came 11 years ago. Beat Andy Murray in that 08 final. Martina, finish this sentence. If he were to win a 60 US Open 11 years after his fifth, that would be the epitome of perseverance and excellence. Hmm. Not necessarily in that order. <laughs> yeah, look, he, he's got to like where he's coming in from. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of the chatter before the tournament was how is he going to rebound from having those match points at, at Wimbledon. And he started slowly in the tournament, but he's gathered some steam. He's going up against Dimitrov, who he's very friendly with, but he also loves his head-to-head -head against. He's never lost to him. So uh, he certainly, the only thing that I would say is really a concern for Federer, honestly, is the court speed. And I think that could be problematic for him in a matchup with someone like Vavrinka, who can bully him off both sides, or certainly Nadal. Vavrinka never beaten him on hard courts, but there is, there's always a first time. We showed that video of Roger. Keep in mind, that was the last time he won this event. The first one was in 2004, 15 years ago. So there's your perseverance. Remarkable. We talk a lot about these sliding doors scenarios. Is it possible that at ages 38, 33, we get Rafa Roger, if that's what we all want to see. It will be U.S. Open quarterfinal number 13 for Roger Federer. That wraps up the seven-train ride for this Tuesday. Much more to come on today's TC Live. back with you on Tennis Channel Live. We say good morning to Paul Anacone. We're going to dive into some of the other big men's matches from yesterday. Look, we've talked about uh, Pablo Andujar. What a great story he is coming back at age 33 from all those elbow surgeries, making the second week of a slam for the first time. But Gael Monfils, man, he was not having it. I'll tell you what, with Gael Monfils, we always wonder what we're going to see as tournaments progress. And for Jim, for Monfils uh, yesterday, Jim, very important for him to have a quick match. And he did a terrific job out there against Pablo Andahar. This is a nostalgic event. This is a nostalgic time for Andahar. Three elbow surgeries. Great for him to get this far, but that man with the elasticity, the defensive skills, once again showed why he's one of the world's best entertainers, and what a tremendous day of tennis for him. Little circular turnaround oh. flick two-hander there for the passing shot. And for Gael Monfils, he faced zero break points. And when you don't pressure his serve and you allow him to hold easily, freeze him up on the return games. And look at that, just a little bit more magic and a little bit more offense. <laughs> Andahar's like, please, just do something that I can deal with. But Monfils, a great, efficient effort, and on he goes. Super job. So I asked this question advisedly because we've all seen this movie before and it doesn't always have the ending Monfils would like. Are we wrong to start dreaming about Monfils lifting a trophy? Is that is that outside the realm of possibility? It's a bit premature, I would say, but let's celebrate him playing a nearly perfect match. This was as good as it gets for Monfils. Yes, it was a good matchup for him. Of course, Andahar doesn't have the firepower to get him. Monfils limited Andahar to only six winners with his blanket defense. 
but he was also offensive. There was the perfect blend from Gail Malfis yesterday that you would hope that he would be able to employ on a more consistent basis, but let's celebrate it while we have it. And he has a great opportunity in his next round. There's no doubt about this. This is a section of the draw, the third quarter where we lost Tsitsipas and team in the opening round, and he is moving to fill in that void in the semifinals, possibly. And it's always fun to watch Gael Monfils when he's a little more offensive. Yesterday, Jim, um, he did such a good job offense versus defense, 12 more winners than unforced errors. And, and when he does that, you know he's playing a little bit more uh, of a strategically uh, sound game instead of just being reactive. But. I can't get too carried away because you know what? He actually did run more. He had to cover more court than Andahar yesterday. Still had to defend more, more than Andahar did, but he got those winners, which was good. The mix was good enough to get him to his first Grand Slam quarterfinal in three years, since three years ago here. Want to look at the Andre Rublev Berrettini matchup. Remember, Rublev is the guy who not only took out Stefano Tsitsipas, also took out Nick Kyrgios, but Berrettini wasn't having that. Berrettini bulldozed him, Paul. How'd he do it? I'll tell you what, the, this is my big catchphrase for all young players, set the tone early. And that's exactly what Berrettini did. He was unbelievably offensive, got through that first set, set a tone where he was going to dictate what happened, never really let Rublev get into it. Rublev was better in the second. And when Berrettini served for the match, that was a little hiccup. They got into the tiebreak after Rublev broke him. But the Italian was just stellar. I'll tell you, he is a big, strong, powerful, athletic player. We're going to see a lot more of him. And yesterday was a terrific breakthrough for him. So Berrettini makes his first Grand Slam quarterfinal at a place where he had never won a match before he showed up here this year. So here's the men's draw with the quarterfinal set. Rafa, Feder, Medvedev, the only top 10 player still around, and the one unseated quarterfinalist in Dimitrov. What do we think of this group? Well, first of all, with Berrettini and Monfils, if Monfils plays the way he played yesterday, he'll win that match. He'll be able to stop a lot of the power with his defense of Berrettini and ask him to hit more shots. Certainly love Nadal's chances against Schwartzman. Uh, court speed should be pretty good for him. And the top half of the draw, I'm just tracking towards, uh, I'm looking at a, a nice little Stan Raj, all Swiss encounter. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see Medvedev today. What, what's he going to say to everybody afterwards? That's really <laughs> what I want to see. I just want to see what Medvedev shows up after the match. They're going to have a great battle. There's going to be this, right? One, one, way or, one way or the other. There will be booze. Lots to get to on TC Live on this Tuesday when we come back. A look at the key women's matches from Monday. Mary Lindsay Martina will have that. All right, back at the rocket desk with Lindsay Davenport. Good morning. Good morning. And Martina Navratilova. Fun time you showed up. <laughs> there was some good tennis from the women yesterday, and then there was some very close tennis from the women yesterday. Lindsay, I want to start with you. The Vekic Gurgis match. Was that good or close? It was both. Right. <laughs> it was a hard-hitting battle out on Armstrong. And it was Gurgis who was really in control of this match for the majority of it. And then the first set, it was Gurgis. This whole tournament, she's been able to use her serve and her forehand so well. And it was the same during this one, a very tight first set breaker. But look at Gurgis coming yeah. up huge in the big moments. And then this is where it all fall apart for Gurgis in this 10th game. She had match point. Mary, in this match, six double faults from Gurgis, three in the game where she was trying to serve the match out. Vekic, the fighter she is, saved that match point, went on to win the second set, and took control midway through the third set, was able to carry that momentum through to the finish line. This is huge for Vekic, who had never been 
to a Grand Slam quarterfinal. How about saving match point to get there? That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Donna Vekic, first time this deep into a major. That's quite, a, that's quite an effort, isn't it? Uh, I tell you, Gorgas is going to relieve this one. One of the best servers in the sport, and she loses the match, serving for the match, uh, three double faults. But Donna Vekic, who is a big hitter, she was doing the defending. She yeah. ran more than, than Gorgas and ultimately hustled her way into the, into the quarterfinals. So props to Vekic for hanging in there and turning yeah. the match around. Sometimes you get that fight when you're a player, and Vekic is a player all summer long who's fought. She saved three match points against Keys up in Canada. Right. She does it again here in probably her biggest match. All these players, they see other players doing well at majors, mm -hmm. and, and they want a piece of that as well. And Vekic really dug her heels in. I, I do go back to Gurgis, though. She had 20 aces. She was dominating her service games. Yeah until it was time to close the match out. Yeah, and yeah. I, I've never seen her serve go off the way it did yesterday at the big occasions, but that's tough well, to get over. Well, you know her serve, as amazing as it is, it's very busy. The racket face goes all over the map, but at impact, she's usually good. But I think when the nerves come in, those idiosyncrasies get in the way. And I think that's, that's you know, then there's a lot more to go wrong when it does go wrong. I want to ask you about another match that happened. Christy Ahn, the 29-year-old American who has been such a good story, against Elise Mertens uh, on the right. What did you think of this one? Well, it was, was, wasn't good or close for, for Ahn. She just, uh, I think she was... She was just beaten by a better player. Mertens played a very solid match, nothing spectacular. Uh, both defended really well, but Christiane made it in too, too many unforced errors. I think her body was like, okay, I've had enough. But uh, Mertens, you know, not, not a comfortable position for her. She was an overwhelming favorite, and she played up to it. I mean, ended up winning the match one and one. Mertens is one of those players where we talk about there's not an overwhelming weapon and there's not a huge weakness. And right. she's very solid, a very hard worker. And she made short work of on who I think you're right, Martine. I think she just ran out of gas, both physically and emotionally. So what a breakthrough for not only Mertens, but Christiane. Stanford grad, she's just so likable, isn't she? And finally, by hanging around the game, and she has proven not just to her parents, but to us, that uh, she made a good decision to hang around the tour. All right, here's what we've got left, kids. There is only one name in the remaining field who's ever won a major. What do so, we feel about that? There's only one name that's ever been to a semifinal of a major, uh, other than uh, Joe Conta. I mean, nobody been in the finals. So, yes, I mean, the skies have opened up for Serena Williams, but you, have, you only have to play seven players to get the feeling Serena will handle anybody. But and for the other field, what an opportunity. Yeah. Opportunity. Are you, can you, are you making any, any judgments? It's hard not to put Serena as the favorite. I, you know, with, no, but I'm saying who she might she meet? I mean, it looks like it's going to be Andrescu. I, I'm curious to see how Andrescu pulls up after finishing so late last night, that long physical battle with Townsend. She has a day off today, but uh, it... With, the, with Osaka losing, Andrescu and Serena are, are the favorites to get to the final. My picks for most improved players of the year, Andrescu with Belinda Bencic also uh, in that conversation. All right, we're going to take another break. Mats Wielander is going to be joining Jim Courier and me in just a bit as Tennis Channel Live continues.
Well, the special relationship between the U.S. and Great Britain was reaffirmed in the mixed doubles final here at the Open last year as Jamie Murray and Bethany Maddox-Sands teamed up to win that title. Grand Slam number six for Jamie, number eight for Bethany, but it was also her first since that catastrophic knee injury at Wimbledon a couple of years ago. That was a big milestone for her as we welcome you back to TC Live and back by popular demand. Once again, it's the Tennis Channel Live double segment, the only segment in all of global television devoted exclusively to doubles. We're proud of that because... Are we sure of that? We're, <laughs> we're sure and we're proud. This brings up a really bad memory for me. Why is that? Match point, mixed doubles finals. I had the great Betsy Nagelson on my team. I hit a return to serve down the line against this woman who happened to win 400,000 Grand Slam titles and missed it by this. I had a match point. I would have had a win over Martina Navratilova. No, it wasn't to be. Right here, the we U.S. Open lucky. finals. There's a self-help group for people who've been Join beaten the club. up by this Join one. The club. Yeah, no, right? Put my name down. enabling me to win the put, triple. Put my Thank name so down. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's go to the mixed highlight from yesterday as Bethany and Jamie are defending their title, taking on the two seeds here, DeBrow and Mate Pavic. Oh, it's so fun to watch Bethany Maddox-Sands and Jamie Murray on the doubles court. They work so well together as a team. We saw them win here last year. It's great to see Bethany back. We keep talking about it. One of the most horrific injuries in the sport, but they go through, win the 10-point match tiebreak. Oh, yeah, it's over. They move on. <laughs> All right, so uh, here's the mixed draw as Beth and Jamie give it a hug. Uh, they are into the semifinals. Interestingly, if you look at the 16 players in the quarterfinals on the left-hand side of this, only one of those 16 players actively plays singles anymore. Yeah. Sam Stozer. And we have uh, sisters matching up in the semifinals. Ooh, that is never easy. We'll talk about rivalry. that with Venus and uh -huh. Serena. The okay. Chan sisters playing each other. That could okay, very good. Uh, so that's the mixed scenario. Paul, you want to take us into the men's doubles, please? Yeah, why not? Uh, the team of Cabal Farah, who won Wimbledon this year, they are the number one team on tour in the race to the year-end championship, continued their great play yesterday. Look at the reflexes up there at the net. These guys combine so well together, understand where to be and why, and another good win for them. This was earlier on Grandstand, Bob and Mike Bryant playing Jack Sock and Jackson Withrow. Of course, Mike and Jack won this title last year while Bob was recuperating. And uh, once again, uh the Bryan brothers do not win a major since 2014. Really unfortunate. Just couldn't get enough break points. Could never break serve. They were 0 for 3 on break points. And uh, with throw and Sock, just too many weapons. They had a lot more winners than the Bryan brothers. And I'd play them. Jack Sock, so uncomfortable to play against with that big forehand out of the ad court. As good a volleyers as these guys are, they just couldn't handle it. All right. So. Brian and Brian, the seven seeds go down. The man who won last, I don't know, are you still defending your title if you're not defending it with the same partner? What's the technicality? Yep. I think so. Yeah, okay. yeah so Jack's defending his title. Here's the men's doubles draw. A lot of the big teams are still alive. Uh, Jamie Murray is still alive in the men's and the mixed. Yeah, Jamie's having a busy tournament, and he and Neil Skupski get uh, Jack Sock and Withrow next. That's going to be a good matchup. And Cabal and Farah, these guys, I tell you, they've amazed me yeah. this year at their four titles, Wimbledon. They just look so comfortable in the big moments. Uh, 
be tough to stop. So can I ask uh, Brian's question as they exit the tournament, uh, 41 years old as of April, did they have, Lindsay, uh, another major in them? I, you don't want to bet against them and everything that they've been through and everything that they've accomplished, but it obviously gets harder the more time passes. This was a tough draw, though. Jack Sock unseated, probably the best doubles player. I wish we could see that Jack Sock on a singles court. Yeah. I think that would be great. Maybe he'll be able to reach those levels again. But I think Bob and Mike, hopefully they're going to stick around through the Olympics next year and give themselves another shot. I think they can win on the faster courts. French Open, not so much, but particularly with this equipment, it's just too hard to volley. These guys can't handle it. This court's playing slow too, but on the grass and at the Australian Open, they have a shot at it. I think they should give it one more year at the Olympics and then probably, well, we'll see. But we're hoping. Yeah, I think Martina's right. I think it's getting tougher and tougher to play kind of traditional doubles in the new doubles world with the dipping passing shots and the heavy rotations. And Bob and Mike are so good at that style of play, but it's getting tougher. But I still think they got it left in them. 16 major titles together, but the last one that they won as a team was five years ago here at the U.S. Open. We'll take a little break on TC Live when we come back. Hall of Famer Mats Vilander, who has hey, who's been interviewed. Who's that? that? That's like, this has been going on with Mary since Moses wore short pants and it's going to happen again. <laughs> Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. All right, well, our next guest... I, we go way back. Uh, you know, we all have our favorites. I think that's fair to say. And for me, the two guys I'm sitting next to are among them. That is Mats Wielander. And uh, look at this guy. In 1988, he won the Australian Open. He won the French Open, quarters of Wimby. And then you won your U.S. Open against a guy in Ivan Lendl that you did not find to be an easy opponent. How did you even beat him? And, and talk to me about five set matches and why you like them so much. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Uh, why did I like them? Yeah. Um, because it gave you time yeah. uh, and it didn't make me panic early on in matches as much. I found that uh, I was really nervous the first 10, 15 minutes in, in matches on the regular tour and I felt five sets. Yeah, there were some nerves, but they went away sooner. I realized that the first set or the first hour is not crucial in terms of score. It's more crucial about setting certain patterns and tactically playing, finding the correct way to play. And then I think it helps when I was convinced that I will never get tired. Wow. Matt, you were a guy who won very early. You were 17 when you won your first major at Roland Garros. But you changed your game quite a bit to adapt to some opposition, yeah. specifically Yvonne Lindell. The final you won here against Lindell, you did what different from Roland Garros when you were a 17-year-old? Well, at Roland Garros, I, I didn't hit, uh, didn't serve and volley once. <laughs> I didn't hit one slice backhand in two weeks. Uh, I know I didn't serve and volley. So against Yvonne in 88, um, I had lost to him in three big finals in 87. First of all, the sleeveless. Just yeah, so you the know. best look. look. Yeah, that's the first one. Shouldn't have done that with my biceps. But, um, you know, you get tired of losing to somebody. And I lost to Ivan in 87 at the French, four sets. Here in 87 in the finals, four sets. 
Madison Square Garden at the Masters, I think, 6-2, 6-love, 6-2. And I thought, when I came here in the finals, there is no chance I'm losing to him the same way. Mm. So I'm going to try and do something. And uh, I always play Jimmy Connors with a slice backhand. Mm -hmm. And I try to sort of think, okay, maybe with Ivan I can keep it out of the strike zone on the forehand. Certainly on the backhand with a slice backhand. And um, I was sort of, uh, I was going to try three or four different things. That seemed to work straight away, and I kind of stuck with it. And then I threw in some serve and volley when I started feeling comfortable and, and, and feeling that Ivan doesn't really know what to change and what to do here. So you, The man has a considerable brain pan, is what we're saying. Yeah. Well, I, I'm curious if you've seen any parallels to the change that someone like Roger Federer, who won early in his career, but made that late change with his backhand yeah. to try yeah. and attack Rafa in their matchup. You see any parallels in that with you and Ivan? I do. I mean, I do. I think Roger has decided that he doesn't want to lose that way, period. He doesn't want to feel as helpless as I think he felt in a lot of those finals. Um, and uh, he's taken the racket out of Rafa's hand. I think what's important uh, to realize uh, when Roger is playing the way he does against Rafa, we always say that Roger is a better player, he's got a better backhand. Yes, maybe. He's making Nadal worse by taking the racket out of his hand. I think he's doing what Pete and I'm not sure he did it against you, Jim. Oh, yes. yes. Sure he did. I know he did it against me. Pete, you're up 30 love in a service game, and I could read Pete's mind where he's saying, Mats, you're not going to get to hit another shot in this game. I'm going to throw these into the stands. You lose your rhythm. At 4 all I'm going to chip a few backhands. You can't hit a ball anymore because you <laughs> don't have any rhythm. And I think that's what Roger's been doing to Rafa in the last couple of years. Yeah. Tell me about how, how, how you're liking the way Rafa is playing. We saw him in remarkable form against Marin Cilic last night. And again, I keep thinking the big three that are still around, it's this five-set stuff. They know what to do, don't they? Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, Marin Cilic, he definitely uh, felt in that second set. You could see it in his eyes that he thought he had a chance to turn this match around. But uh, it just takes a couple of points, it seems, for Rafa to fire up and um, and go close to 100% and, and suddenly Cilic lost it all. So I, I, they just have this unbelievable ability to play five sets and understanding the ups and downs. Yeah. yeah. How were those two points? Yeah, pretty insane finish here. The wrap around the net. <laughs> La banana, the second to the last point of the match. How do, you see, uh, how do you see his chances in the bottom half of the draw, Matt? I don't see anyone beating Rafa at the moment, to be honest. Um, Diego Schwartzman, that's, a, that's a, an impossibility, I think, for Schwartzman to, to take Nadal out. It's going to be tough. Mm. Um, I like the style Schwartzman plays. I just don't know if he can have enough power, even though he's got a great backhand. Gael Monfils and Berrettini, I love that matchup. To me, that's the most interesting quarterfinals of all of them because Berrettini is brilliant. And Gael Monfils is in love. And uh, I've never seen him play tennis this way, uh, being in love. So I think it's, a, it's an open draw for those three, but I really think Rafa is unbeatable. In love with Alina Svitolina, who's still around yeah, as well. Two quarterfinals here. All right, is Roger Federer going to end up playing Rafa Nadal for the first time at the U.S. Open this year? What about Roger's form? Yeah, I think he's playing really well. Um, it's hard to say what kind of resistance David Goffin put up. Uh, it's hard to say uh, the difference between Stan Wawrinka, Daniil Medvedev, and Grigor Dimitrov tonight, because I think they all come in somehow with everything to win and nothing to lose. At the same time, as I think Federer in a weird situation is 
the guy that has everything to lose and nothing to gain until he gets to the finals. How can you have that at 38 years old? <laughs> he should have everything to win and nothing to lose, but it's not the case. And I think nerves with Roger after that Wimbledon final, I don't know what, what it's done to him because mm -hmm. I really feel like he, he was in charge. He was the better player. He lost three tiebreakers out of three. He had two match points, lost four points in a row. He played at best Wimbledon final I've seen maybe ever. And somehow, why doesn't he win that? And is that going to come back and haunt him? I'm assuming it might be in the back of his mind. I don't know. No. Should. I'm going to put you on the spot, Mats. Great tennis mind. Who's going to win this thing in the men's side? The guys are not up this early, so I'm sure that they can't hear me, right? Who's Bots watching, who's watching this show? <laughs> I can't see anyone beating Nadal. I really cannot. I think that he's serving better. Um, I think last night the conditions were as bad as they possibly could be for Nadal, and he still wins easily. Uh, I don't know if anyone is a bigger threat than Cilic, except Roger. Vavrinka, does he? But can he go through Medvedev, Federer, or Dimitrov? And they beat Nadal. I just don't see Nadal losing. Then again, we've seen Nadal pull out in the last few years in, in the weirdest moment. Like, whoa, yeah. he's injured. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think Nadal is my, my big pick. Mats, you're, you're a dinosaur like us. You probably don't know that Tennis Channel clips off these little things and puts them on social media so the players can see them when they wake up. So, <laughs> you're in trouble. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. We're going to let you go before you get into even more trouble. The great Mats Wielander working here for Eurosport. And it's boy, the gun boy. show, Mary. Love Look at the that. Way this plays. Just, Ooh, this plays. just like Nadal with the stars. <laughs>Roger Federer, five-time U.S. Open champion, back with you on TC Live. He will play tonight in his 56th Grand Slam quarterfinal. If he wins, Paul, he will play in his 46th, 46th Grand Slam semifinals. That's crazy. Hard to imagine. I mean, it's been such a great career for him. And it continues to grow. But uh, yesterday there was a social media outcry. Oh. And uh, Oh, here we go. We <laughs> talked about how it would be really important for Mr. Medvedev to learn how to change his, I'm sorry, for Mr. Zverev to learn how to change his second serve. And I use the word hourglass because I want him to go from 2 o'clock to 8 o'clock. And where is that on an hourglass? But see, my hourglass oh, has the clock face I on the bottom. That's why you. I thought everyone's did. Apparently not. Mine does. And Mary Carrillo didn't realize that. And all, the social media outcry was huge. All of my followers. Was, were all upset. Eight, all both eight of them? Of them. Both okay. of them. So I just wanted to make sure we clarified that for today. That's your new See? kicks. That's your new kick serve See, gadget. Yeah, exactly. Right there. That hour, the that's right there. Just, that is, that is what straighten we, that out. That is what Paul would call aggressive shtick in a conservative location. So now you're getting yeah. it, Habes. Can we show, let's, let's go on can we show Grigor Dimitrov beating Alex Dimonor? Because that's how he got to play Roger Federer, and he had a, a, a pretty good serving day. He won 80% of his first serve points, 60% of his second serve points. He was never broken in a comprehensive three-set win over a guy who very nearly got seated in this tournament. Grigor's never beaten Roger, but he's ready to retake the test. What's notable about Dimitrov, he's had a down year. It's been a real struggle for him. With this result, even if he loses, he's back into the top 50. He's been working with the, the team of Roddick, Stepanip, and Andre Agassi. That's the team that Djokovic employed for a short period of time. 
they have collectively chosen to not be here along with, with Grigor to give him a little space to maybe figure a few things out for himself. He's still very closely speaking to them and game planning with them, but perhaps just put yourself in, in that camp's shoes. That would have put more pressure for him had Andre particularly been here, more focus on Dimitrov in a time when he just wanted to problem solve a little bit by himself. That's worked out well. That's good uh, understanding of the scenario from the entire team. Yeah, I, I think that was a, extremely smart. I mean, look, let's be honest. If Andre Agassi is around, it's going to cause attention and focus. And also for Grigor to be able to learn and think through things is really important. Someone with that many tools needs to figure it out for himself. He's got a tough matchup, 7-0 against Roger. He's on the short side of that. And also, Roger's won 16 of the 18 sets they've mm -hmm. played. So it's a tough style matchup for him but for Dimitrov when you get on a roll like this and, and you finally reboot your confidence and you have everything to gain and nothing to lose there's a lot of danger Roger will not take that for granted he knows what he's up against and you heard it in those comments so it's going to be a shot maker's delight that's for sure Dimitrov has not made a slam semi in more than two and a half years since Australia 2017 trying to do that here in this match let's talk about the other men's quarter today Stan Wawrinka arriving for work does not have his Stan the man shirt on, but he's got multiple pieces of luggage. He was the winner here three years ago. He'll play Daniil Medvedev, and yes, everyone will talk about Novak Djokovic having to retire in that last match, but let's give Stan full credit. He was beating Novak. Boy, I'll tell you what, Stan Wawrinka is not afraid of the big stage, and when I was watching that, it sounded like there were some howitzers going off when the ball struck Wawrinka's racket. It were cannon shots. He was aggressive from the back of the court. Has a lot of confidence, loves the big stage. Bad news for Novak was that shoulder, but it's going to be a new day today. Vavrinka lost a few years ago to this young man that he's going to play, so it's going to be an interesting day today. And he is aware that there is the potential for drama against Medvedev. But Stan can stay focused amongst the noise, and there might be some noise. There'll be a lot of fan support for Stan tonight, champion here, and there'll be people in the stands aware of Medvedev's scenario. Stan will also be aware that Medvedev has played so many matches in the last month and fatigue is probably a part of it. Stan's natural game extracts a lot from his opposition because he's the one on the front foot on both sides. So for Medvedev, this is going to be a real physical challenge to deal with Stan and another mental challenge that he's embraced by taking the crowd on at the same time, most likely. Yeah, I think Medvedev's got to make a lot of first serves. Um, if he makes a lot of first serves and gets quick points, he's in good shape. Um, I was with Stan. I was fortunate enough to be with Stan and sit next to the great Magnus Norman when he lost to Medvedev a few years ago at Wimbledon. Stan's knee wasn't great then, but boy, it was really interesting for me to sit there and take notes and watch the young Medvedev with all the variety and awkwardness. He breaks rhythm extremely well. But I have a sneaking suspicion uh, Magnus Norman uh, and Stan will be aware of that. That match at 2017 Wimbledon was the very last match that Stan played before he took six months off to have those two knee surgeries. So bear that in mind when you consider their one previous meeting. As we look ahead to some of what else is on tap on the show this morning, John's Unstrung is on how this sport goes about eventually replacing the big three. The squad will check into the coach's corner to examine what happened to Naomi Osaka yesterday. And U.S. Davis Cup captain Marty Fish sits down for a chat with Paul for the latest installment of Coaching in the Bigs. All that ahead when TC Live returns. There is Alina Svitolina beats Madison Keys. She gets Joe Conta in the quarters. This is the new captain of the U.S. Davis Cup team, Marty Fish, who 
played his very best tennis late in his career, got all the way into the top 10. Now he's got a new job and he talks about it with Paul Anacone and coaching in the bigs. Welcome to another session of Coaching in the Bigs. I have the great opportunity to have my good friend Marty Fish. Marty, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks Appreciate for having me. the time. Hey, congrats on the new position, Davis Thank Cup you. captain for the United States. Tell me a little bit about the formats change. Things have changed a little bit, but Davis Cup is Davis Cup. So how does it make you feel? Yeah, I mean, look, everyone is sort of at bay with how the format is. Uh, we don't know how it's going to go. Um, it sounds exciting. I mean, as a player, I would want to be a part of that. Having uh, 18 countries in one spot, groups of, That's great. Uh, groups of three. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. And we already know who we're playing. We're already breaking down film on, on Italy and Canada, and, and uh, they're in our group. and. Uh, there's some tough groups out there. I think uh, uh, Croatia, France, and Russia are in one group together, cool, yeah. which is brutal. The group of death, yeah, as they exactly. say in, like in uh, soccer. What's going to be your philosophy as a captain? Will you have a philosophy, and how do you delegate? We have two generations, really, for us right now in the, on the team. We've got Isner and Query and Steve Johnson and even Jack Sock, who's been out here for a long time. That's sort of one generation. I'll put Jack maybe in the middle right. of that sure. of that generation. And then we've got the young guys, the the Fritz, the uh, Pelka, the TFO. You know, these guys that are coming up, they're 21 years old and under and, and top 50 in the world. I want all of those guys to be able to uh, experience what it feels like to play in that competition, the pressure that it is, because you just can't duplicate it anywhere else. I think it's a good opportunity for the young guys to learn yeah. from Sam and for John. And do you think that that mixing will be kind of opportunistic for both? I think it's great to have, you know, someone like the Bryans, for instance, where they've been in so many big matches their entire careers in Davis Cup and outside of Davis Cup. To see how those guys go about that week specifically, um, to see how they go about their practices in big tournaments. And those guys can give perspective. Isner's played in a ton of big matches, especially in Davis Cup. To have him um, hopefully be a part of the team as well uh, is huge for those young guys to see it. And then I want them to experience it. Is there any way to explain to people the difference of what Davis Cup pressure feels like? I've never been able to sum it up compared to even playing in a major. This is such an individual sport. We leave the locker room, we're all by ourselves. Um, so we have to figure it out, problem solve. This is almost the exact opposite. I mean, you've got teammates to rely on. You could have the greatest two matches of your life and still lose. Vice versa, you could play a bad match and somebody else can pick you up. Um, so it's, uh, it's, the, it's the team uh, part of it, and then it's just the want to win. We've got our flags next to our names in these tournaments, but you sort of forget about that stuff when you're out here playing. When you're playing Davis Cup, you don't forget about it at all. Team USA did a good job hiring you, my friend. It's going to be a lot of fun. I look Thanks. forward to watching it. Thanks, Marty, Thanks for, for the time. Me. Appreciate it. Another edition of Coaching in the Bigs presented by Liberty Mutual. Jim Courier, you were the captain of the U.S. Davis Cup team for eight years. Would you have liked this new format? Yeah, I've advocated for the new format the entire time of my tenure as captain <laughs> and even before that. It only so, took time. So I'm excited to see what the future holds for, for the competition. I hope that eventually they'll get a better date in the calendar. It's the last event of the season. I, I fear that, that a lot of the top players 
over the years may not participate if they stay in that slot, but that's where they are for now, and it's going to be fascinating. Novak and Rafa, as of now, are committed to playing, and, and Marty has a lot of options for the U.S. team, and he is so invested in it, so fired up. The passion is palpable. I'm sure you felt that too, Paul. Yeah. What, yeah, what kind of a coach is Marty going to be? What's his vibe? I, I love that chat with him. He was so excited about it, and, and he was really uh, going into it with his eyes wide open, really understanding, I think, so well. One of the most important parts of it was the dynamic of the makeup of his team. He's got some options, right? He's got veterans, and he's got young guys, and I think he was really excited that he had that because the veterans can kind of thrive off the youthful exuberance and the youths, as you would say, two youths, yeah. two can, can thrive off youths? of the veterans' experience, yeah. right? So there's a really nice dynamic. Now he's just got to figure out who's doing what. Yeah, and the list, the, the options are interesting. What do you think, as we have a look at him, tell me what, who you think is going to raise your hand. Well, first and foremost, question marks over Isner's availability. He and his wife, Maddie, are expecting their second child around about this time of the season, so unclear whether he'll put his hand up. We know John has been a passionate, persistent Davis Cup, but this may not be uh, available to, his, to him. You don't Paul, think they want to have the baby in Spain? I don't know about that, Mary, <laughs> although health care is better probably over there. But Taylor Fritz, um, Paul, what do you think? He, would he like to play in this? Uh, yeah, I think he'd be real excited, especially if he had an opportunity to play with his buddies. You know, I think that, you know, Marty summed it up when we were chatting so well, and, and you remember this, Jim, as a captain and as a player, we don't get team environments much. And when you get that, it's so exciting. And I think the young guys actually really thrive on it even yeah. more. So it's a great opportunity for all of them. The format's different. It's it's one-day matches, two singles and one doubles. There's going to be a premium on doubles, and one of Marty's toughest decisions is going to be, does he bring over the Bryan brothers? Does he try and bring Jack Sock? The doubles point is going to be really critical. And as a captain, you get five players that you can bring over there. So you have to be, uh, you have to obviously have to protect singles and bring at least three players for that. But uh, there there's a lot for him to figure out, a lot of pieces of the puzzle to move around. and and. Who's going to be healthy then? That's also a factor we just don't know. Should the U.S. win the Davis Cup this year? They have a brutal draw. They have a brutal draw. It's going to draw. be really hard. The U.S. is in the section with Italy and Canada. Think about the Italians right now, how good they are with Fonini and Berrettini and go down the line. And then Canada with the, their youth movement. That's a tough section to get out of, yeah. but not the toughest section of the tournament. Look, listen to Group B, Croatia, Russia, and Spain. Think about the players in that one. <laughs> Cilic is in there. Nadal is in there. The two Russians in the top ten plus Rublev. Man, that Zoics. is murderous. And Spain's the host nation. Yeah. Could be noisy. It's right. going to be noisy. It's Davis Cup, Mary. <laughs> it's Davis it's Cup. Passion. All right. We will have a women's preview. There's Guillermo Monfils and Lina Svitolina, both in the quarters. We'll talk about that when we come back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Last time Serena won this, the sixth time she won it, was five years ago against Caroline Wozniacki. She's been chasing number seven for a while now, and she's also chasing, of course, Margaret Court's record. She can equal it if she raises that trophy again here and gets to 24 majors. 
and then go beyond that, if possible, with, Lin with Lindsay and Martina. What are we thinking? You see her hoisting it on Saturday night? I do. You do? I, I mean, she started off this tournament with a bang and a message to the locker room when she dismantled Sharapova in her first match. Yes. Little hiccup against McNally, but overall, the whole package has been all business. She's been hitting the ball beautifully. She's moving a little bit better than we last saw her at Wimbledon at a major. And just everything about her demeanor and her focus here, it's all business. And I, I see her winning number seven. Martina? Um, I, so do I. I mean, somebody would have to have a career day to beat Serena Williams the way she's playing right now. And with the crowd being on her side and she's just so zeroed in, healthy, that's sprained ankle, maybe a little bit of an issue, but doesn't look like it to me. She's, she's locked in. So it was her left ankle that Serena rolled over at the Australian Open. This time, in the last round, it was the right ankle. At least this time she called for a trainer, Lynn. Yeah, she got it right away. She got it taped up. But it was in the few points after, she was, you could just see the emotions on her face as she looked up to her camp. But she got it taped even tighter. Then she put a brace on on top of the tape. Yeah. But the good news, we saw her out on the court yesterday before the rains hit. She was out here hitting. If it's really bad and if it's swelled up huge, she would have just stayed in her in her room in the city with it elevated all day. I think it was a good sign that we at least saw her out here trying to hit. And uh, we'll see how it is tonight. Yeah, I've sprained my ankle many times. Some severe, some not so severe. This one looked worse than it actually turned out because if it's bad, you cannot walk the next day. You can barely maybe finish the match, but the next day is when it really shows up. And the fact that Serena practiced yesterday tells me that she's all right. Are you surprised that she's playing Q, Wang Chong, in this round? Well, who picked Q to be there in the quarters? I mean, we have a lot of un uh, people that we didn't quite predict in the quarters, but uh, she wins a lot of matches. First uh, career quarterfinal, and uh, she's she's gotten a lot better. Uh, she's she's a good, complete player, but really nothing to hurt Serena Williams with. Yeah, that's going to be the challenge for Wong going through. She had her career win against Barty in the previous round. But Barty a little bit off her game this entire tournament. And Wong, she's so solid. She does everything really, really well. Big challenge for Wong is going to be to hang on to her serve time and time again yes. against Serena and the pressure she puts on a server with her return. Wong's been broken four times throughout the tournament. She's got to be able to just keep Serena to one, maybe two breaks a serve if she's going to win this match because it's it's so tough to break Serena when she's serving as well as she is so far here in New York. I'm not sure Juan can do that through the course of, the, of a whole match against Serena. All right, the highest seeded player left in the tournament? Alina Svitolina. She takes on Joe Conta. What kind of a contest will that be today? Well, Joe Conta, better player than she has been in her previous matches against uh, Svitolina. Svitolina is 4-0. She's never lost to Joe Conta. So pressure's on, on Svitolina. She's more aggressive than she has been in the past. And Joe Conta has really improved her game. She's much more of a complete player. She's using drop shots, slices, rolls the forehand. She's mixing it up so much better. Has a big serve, big weapons. Uh, so I think Joe Conta has a more complete game than Svitolina, but a horrible record against her. So this is going to be a mental matchup, I think. Yeah, Conta much more offensive and the ability to finish points. That's the one part of Svitolina's game that she's been trying to get better at. Right. She's been one of the best movers and making that transition to be able to finish points. Conta cannot be reckless. She's got to build. She's got to be patient. And that might mean five, six ground strokes every rally before she gets the one that she can really tee off on. But it's interesting how the mental aspect will play into this. It is not easy going into such a big match, never having beaten your opponent. Yeah. Does she really believe it? She's very good 
with the mental side of it, Conta, one of the few that talks so openly of how she yes. works on that side of her game day in and day out. She's going to need that today, believe that she could beat Svitolina. Why does Svitolina worry Conta so much? Why is she 4-0 against the Brit? Well, because she defends so well, and Joe Conta was more of a just banger. She didn't have the variety. She's going for her shots, as we see. Svitolina warming up. She looks pretty relaxed there. But Joe Conta, again, both players are better than they had than they were last time they played, which was a year, year and a half ago. So I think they're, they'll both be bringing something new to the matchup. It'll just be a matter of who can handle this big moment better. Uh, Conta has been here more often, but she's never beaten Svitolina. So it is a more of a mental matchup than anything else. Yeah, Svitolina's weakest area of her game, her second serve, Keys could not take advantage of that. Was missing all sorts of returns. That is an area. Look at the second serve numbers one from Svitolina when this match is over. Can't, could Conta take advantage of that shot and get ahead in the rally with that return? All right, we're going to be watching that. Joe Conta plays first on Ash at noon. After that, second match on, Daniil Medvedev against Stan Wawrinka. He's getting ready for that one. They are often imitated, but never duplicated. Novak Djokovic is 32 years old with 16 majors. Rafa's 33 years old with 18. The 38-year-old Roger Federer has got 20. Are they ever going to go away? Is anybody else ever going to take charge? That's what John Wertheim explores in this edition of Unstrung. There are no hard, fast rules about generations in tennis, so we take it upon ourselves to define them. There is, of course, the big three generation, marked by the peerless excellence of Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, and Novak Djokovic, who have won 54 majors among them. They bat around the big titles as if they're all in an extended rally. Other generations are defined by how well, or how not well, they have fared against the king, these three benign monarchs. Well, it's great to have new players and uh, because there uh, has been a gap between that generation you know, but now it's coming. New generation of good players and I wish all the very best to all of them. First, there is the lost generation. Players ages 26 to 31. Marin Cilic, Juan Martin Del Potro, Grigor Dimitrov, Kane Ishikori, Milos Raonic. They have won only two majors among them. Then there is the next gen. Guys say ages 22 to 25. Dominic Thiem, Sasha Zverev, Nick Kyrgios. They each have their signature wins over the big three. And they've come under different circumstances. Just not in the finals of a major. And now a new subset comes. Tennis's Gen Z, perhaps we'll call it. Players 21 and under who take their crap. This group especially can take comfort knowing that eventually three of the best tennis players in history will give up the throne and make room for new kings. That's the hope anyway. So what do we think, kids? It's certainly a question worth pondering, and, we, and we've been pondering it now for what? Eight years or so? <laughs> Eight, 12. And we'll, and we'll I think we're going to continue to ponder this for a little bit longer. We hope that Federer was going to stay healthy and, and uh, engaged in the sport for another couple of years and still be a title contender. Easy to see Djokovic playing uh, at Federer's level at the same age, and you hope that Nadal's health will allow him to do the same. So eventually there will be open road. Who's going to break through then? But who's going to be the next one to do it now outside of the big three? 
I mean, could it be Stan here even? Yeah, exactly. Could a, be. a veteran. Yeah. Sounds like 3A. Medvedev? Anyone buying? You guys? Not this year. Not yet physically. Good. Not yet physically. Cone? Well, look, I mean, there's a lot of talent on that screen, and there's some uh, other outsiders as well. Since he passes gone, Grigor has tried to redefine himself. We talked about the lost generation, a couple of those guys kind of on there, Milos and Grigor. Kane Shikori got to the finals. Verev struggling. Boy, it, it's this, this is these questions of who and when. It's funny to me how fast this all changes. Remember, Zverev won the year end last year. Coming into Australia, it's Zverev time. Is he ready to break through at a major? Well, he wasn't. Then the French Open comes. Dominic Team. It's going to be his time. Team incidentally turns 26 today. It's going to be Team. Then it wasn't him. It was Felix at Wimbledon. Maybe Sitsipas, and then here. Daniil Medvedev, so it's quickly. These alternate candidates rotate very quickly. Possibly a better question that we should be thinking about is who among the young generation is eventually going to finish their career with a Grand Slam title or more? And I certainly feel like Felix Ojeali-Asim, Stefano Tsitsipas, um, Sasha Zverev, Karen Hatchinoff, I think all of those players, once the road clears, I think they'll be lifting some hardware. And that, that's just a start. I think we're going to move back to a generation where there's much more of an even spread. It's going to kind of revert back to the mean, if you will, of how Grand Slams have been distributed amongst players. What I find interesting is that the people that we count on to continue to win majors are all over 30, including Stan Wawrinka. I mean, it's part of the discussion we had with Mats Wielander earlier, earlier today, winning three out of five set matches. Yeah. You know, you'd think the young guys would start getting good at this. It's the old guys, the men in their dotage, who uh, continue to perform well. Yeah, this is, to me, it's the why behind it all. And, and all the great players have this in them, is they figure out what to do over a period of time. Exactly. Look at Roger's first two matches here. The first two sets, the first set in each of his first two matches, for Roger, on a scale of one to 10, were twos. Okay? That's generous. Yeah, no panic, no nothing, finds a way through it, right? Yeah. Starts, and then look what happens the last two matches, plays great. Look at what happened to Rafa Nadal last night. Loses the second set, exactly. boom, right back on it, all over you, oppressive. Novak Djokovic says the same things. All great players right. over three out of five sets and, do not panic and right. figure it and out. And I believe right. in Vavrinka, who's capable of doing that too. Right. He, we've already seen him win three majors that way. Yeah, same thing. And in best of five, you know how to ration your energy. You know how to ration your emotions. It's a much different exercise. But I, I like your point about precedent. I mean, pretty soon it's going to be, yeah, these guys were good, but it's not like they won double-digit majors. <laughs> I mean, what we're witnessing right now is just such a statistical distortion. It's going to take a long time to correct. Yeah, I, I think about those key turning point matches, like Vavrinka losing to Djokovic in Australia and taking the silver lining and moving forward from that. And I look at the younger generation, much younger. Stefano Tsitsipas has a tough loss to Stan yeah. in Roland Garros, and it hasn't converted to forward momentum for him the same way so uh, but there's so much to like about this young generation we're going to love covering them but uh, we're still lucky aren't we we're celebrating greatness in real time we're very we certainly lucky. are and let's we're luckier than those young players that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and i mean let's just face it hey look who it is these guys are going to face the facts <laughs>These were happier times for Alexander Zverev last November, to be exact. Not only did Sasha make the field at the ATP Finals in London, 
He won the whole darn tournament with wins over Chilich and Isner and Federer and Djokovic in the final. It was the finest hour of a career that seemed to be headed due north. But as we welcome you back to TC Live, that career has taken a bit of a detour, especially lately. Serve woes continued against Schwartzman yesterday. Guys, it's, it's been hard to watch. It is, and, but the key word is detour. You know, it's not a permanent loss. Every player goes through these little things where they've got to adjust. And right now, for Team Zverev, is you go back and you go, is it physical, is it mental, and then you move on. It's clearly mental. It's a double fault situation where he's lost complete confidence in that shot. And keep in mind how damaging that is for a tennis player. The only shot that you control completely in tennis is your serve. Everything else is reactive. This one is completely in your control. You can't hide from it. If you're having problems with it, there's no one to blame. And for him, it's, it's about finding a solution for it. There's nothing that we're seeing that's wrong with his technique. It's clearly uh, something stemming from his brain that's preventing him from having the confidence. The solution for me, if I were on his team, uh, would be to go big target, hit the kick serve about 90 to 100 miles an hour right into the middle of the box so you give yourself the most margin for error with the most control, the top spin, so you can still be aggressive because what was happening to him yesterday was a deceleration on the shot, and when you do that, all you do is you bring more doubt into the mix. You guys have chronicled the issue a bunch in Coach's Corner this week. Here is how it came into specific relief last night against Diego Schwartzman. 17 double faults. It led to him being broken eight times. Got through two five-setters in week one. Could not survive that. Here are some of the numbers that reflect how rough it's been on serve averaging nearly six double faults per match. And th this is the year that he's had after leading the tour in wins last year. Yeah, and, and, and some of these th things are a little bit alarming. The six losses in opening round is really, really rough for him. Look, he's never had a great major resume. Roland Garros this year is only his second quarter finals. That was the next step for Alexander Zverev. But right now, look, he was disappointed in the press conference. That's to be understood. I like that he's taking some positives out of it. But, Jim, you know, you, you, you nailed it. It's pretty simple right now. Big targets and a lot of racket head speed, which goes against everything that tells you kind of basic instinct is to be safe. That's the wrong thing to do. But now. it's racket head speed hitting little of the <clears throat> ball. You, on your first serve, you get as much of the ball as possible to mm -hmm. create the power. On your second serve, you want as little of the ball as possible. You want to brush it, create that heavy topspin that gives you the control. His, his ratios are off. Last year, he had nearly three aces for every double fault. This year, it's, it's half of that, about one and a half aces for a double fault. But here's the silver lining for Sasha Zverev. He's still number 10 year to date in points accrued. He still his ground game is intact. His fitness is intact. This is fixable. It needs to happen soon and he needs to get right back out on tour. Going away is not going to solve this because you might be able to do perfect in practice. But when you're in the pressure cooker, that's when the test will come. He's got to get back on the horse and work on it in practice and then bring it to a match and see if he can solve it. Hiding from this problem will not solve it at all. You guys refer to it being a mental issue at this stage. We have discussed that he's gone through some things off the court this year. He's been in a legal dispute with a former manager. He split with Yvonne Lendl. Look, we saw with Novak Djokovic how issues off the court can bleed into your game on the court. Are we seeing, may, without getting too much into the psychology of Zverev, that possibly happening here? Yeah, 100%. And, and again, this is where the 
the team around him is really important. And what's really important now, this is a huge coaching challenge because now you have to dive into the psyche. It's not about the technique. The people around him, the coach in particular, has to find a way to address it. I'm talking about pre-serve routine. I'm talking about the discipline of every pre-serve routine, visualization, the ability to buy in, to believe, and to repeat it. That takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of confidence, and it takes a lot of belief. So. All that stuff does add up, but you've just got to start from ground zero. When you're as good in the rest of your game as Alexander Zverev is, this needs to be a simple solution. Just go aggressively with margin for your second serve and use the rest of your game to work. You never needed to win with your second serve in the first place. You don't need to do that now. You just have to find a way to stop beating yourself with it. Redevelop some simple confidence, some, some simple triggers, some clarity, Paul, in that stroke, and then and go forward and be great again. Bear in mind, he has more than 2,000 points to defend between now and the end of the year. And if he does not make the field at the ATP Finals in London, which is a distinct possibility, 1,300 of those points are going to come off automatically, and that's going to put a big hit into his ranking. Lots more to come on TC Live. Medvedev is here, bracing himself for whatever response the crowd on Ash Stadium will have for him tonight as he plays in his first major quarterfinal against Stan. Seven trains coming. Karin Kachanov said that the Medvedev dance, when he got, that, that is the Squidward dance. Okay. You if that you're down. a sponge. Take you your do, word for that. You're not a Squidward SpongeBob fan. We can work on Keep it. Going. Later. No, probably not. Uh, stars in the stands, courtesy of People Magazine and Extra Extra. Jim Parsons in the Tennis Channel suite last night. He used to cheer oh. for what, Judy yeah, Bouchard. I, know. I was yeah. thinking that too. Who's his he, new fan? Andreescu. He uh, switched of over. Course, uh, of look at that. Canadian um, tennis turncoat Sheldon. Come on. I'm also told that uh, Bazinga is Swiss German for come on, so you may not have known that. Uh, Maisie Williams, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, uh, you, you don't know that he says Bazinga in, in uh, Big Bang Theory, that that's his big catchphrase? No, and I don't watch Games of Thrones. <laughs> game just of Thrones one, it's just either. one Game of Thrones, <laughs> okay? It's not what, multiple games. Maisie plays Arya Stark. And uh, okay. can you identify yeah, this man? Yes, I can. I can. 43 years old, Tiger Woods. If you're uh, fired up last night. For, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. The, uh, the the Tiger Rafa combo was uh, was in full effect. What's going to happen if Charlie? Rafa plays Roger? Yeah, exactly. He's going to sit in the chair umpire. <laughs> Stars in the stands. Uh, check out people.com and do watch Extra Extra when it premieres on September 9th with new host uh, Billy Bush. Time for the UTR to get put to work. Universal Tennis Rating is the algorithm that analyzes players and matchups. We're looking at the Joe Conta Svitolina match. And there, look at their three I've never seen a tie. He's dead even in the three I have never seen that look in the three month UTR. I, you might be onto something. See? Worth you I'm mock me. Picking the upset <laughs> Conta over Svitolina. I'm not. Conta can win this match. It's just very hard when you haven't beaten an opponent. But we'll see. Oh, and four. Boy, Conta's played really well this tournament, has she? She, she has quietly, in some cases, with, with more attention, been making progress all year. I go back, though, it really, she gets the semis of the French. She's got this great mm. chance against Vondrasova and plays one of her worst matches. Yeah. Loses so quickly in that one. Then I, at Wimbledon, she's gaining all this momentum. She's got the crowd support. 
throws in a clunker against Stritzeva. So I just am never sure when those matches are coming. The good news is it's her third straight major quarterfinal. Yeah, right. Hard yeah. to argue with making the final eight all those times in a row. Uh, how about the Stan and Medvedev match? Uh, boy, heavy UTR advantage for Medvedev. Does the algorithm account for fan support? And I don't say that uh, jokingly. You Thanks know for the, the answer lack, to LT. that, John. Um, you no, know it doesn't. I think atmospherics here. I mean, this is, pro you know, realistically, this is one of the bigger matches of Medvedev's career. The fans are going to be 95-5 for Stan. I think that might be a factor. But, yeah, as far as uh, strict empiricals, they favor the young Russian, don't they? Three finals in a row, and now the quarterfinals. He's got to get tired at some That's point. The, right? that, isn't that the question? Is Does he have the energy? It is much different to play all these three out of five set matches. And when you come in and you're a little fatigued also with Cincinnati and Canada, it's very tough. All right, we'll see what kind of gas he has left in the tank for Stan. They're stringing rackets like crazy downstairs, getting ready for quarterfinals, which kick off at the top of the hour. You can stay connected to the 2019 U.S. Open on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Just join the conversation with hashtag U.S. Open. Speaking of the U.S. Open, the defending champion Naomi Osaka could not defend against this woman. Belinda Bencic of Switzerland taking her out. And it was for the third time this season that Bencic was able to figure out what to do against Naomi Osaka. So what are we to think of this performance? First of all, props to Benchich, because she really played smart. She's got all kinds of game, knows when and how to use it. But what do we think, kids, Martina and Lindsay, about the 2019 season for Osaka? That's not me. Lindsay. Go, to, Lindsay. Go ahead, jump in, kids. It's been an up-and-down season. We thought it started with so much hope winning the Australian Open but hasn't been able to play her best tennis in the majors. Got to number one, right. but so many things have changed for Osaka. It's been a life-changing last 12 months in terms of her landscape, as Paul Anacone would say. And I think she's really struggled with that pressure. If we're able to look at it from a purely a tennis side, yes. it's a much different Osaka at this year's U.S. Open than we saw at last year's U.S. Open. At last year's U.S. Open, she was really willing to build points and hang in there in long rallies, and, and that wasn't the case this year. No, it really wasn't against Belinda Bencic. I mean, we didn't expect Osaka to have a great French Open, but losing early at Wimbledon and then playing yesterday against Bencic, she was not the player she was last year. No, and really through this entire tournament, she hasn't been the same player. It, it, last year, again, she would, she would take these long rallies, and she would so patiently build her points. And if she had to be consistent, she'd be consistent. This year, tons of first and second ball errors off rally balls. She wasn't able to stay in rally. She doesn't have that belief that she can make six, eight, ten balls, whatever it takes until the right shot exists. She was pulling the trigger early. She was missing rally balls. And that's just totally different from what we saw here in New York last year. Lots of unforced errors early in the rally. Yeah. She is quick. She should be able to play defense and offense, and that just wasn't there this year. Why would she not have that kind of shot tolerance? Well, I think so, so many of those errors are inside the baseline, really shouldn't be happening, and I wonder how much of it has to do with the coach. Again, having that belief, I think it's a lack of confidence. When you don't have confidence, you go into what's safe for you. And what's safe for Osaka is go for the shots yes. early on. Her shot selection was much better last year and at the Australian Open. I thought, okay, on clay, she didn't play so well. She doesn't quite feel it yet. Okay. Grass should have been better, but maybe the ball doesn't bounce high enough for her there. Okay. 
come to the hard course. You played so great here. And she did not reset. She did not get back into what worked for her the last two slams she won. And she served well last year. You really noticed something this year about her serving, Martina. What was it? Well, I think her serve is just uh, not consistent. The first serve's good, but the second one just sits up. It's kind of a kick slice. It's a user-friendly serve. It doesn't move enough. You know, to, with the with the bounce, it goes right into the player's strike zone. She doesn't move them in, enough, and it's too predictable. And Benchic so, really seems to know her way around yeah. the net a little bit better, certainly than Osaka showed yesterday too. Overall, Benchic is a better, complete player. Uh, she plays more like Martina Hingis with a little more power, whereas Osaka is more of a power hitter. And when she hits her uh, volleys, when she comes to the net, she doesn't cover the line well enough. And most of what she's hitting swinging volleys when she should be hitting a normal bunt volley. Yeah. And those are predictable because you want to go cross go with that. And Benchic was reading it. So she needs more variety on her second serve and more variety at, at the net, which means more solid volleys and can go either way with them. So what happens next? How does Osaka finish off the rest of this season? Oh, she, put, she posted a great post on her yeah. social media saying that she's going to fail, but she's going to get back yes. up again and keep trying. And she's really had a great attitude these last few weeks in, in really trying to embrace the pressure of playing here. Didn't play her best tennis. I think maybe, and we've said this about a lot of players, maybe the pressure's off now. But she still needs to get back to the basics of what she does well. She has to go back to being able to make shot after shot until the right one is there for her. And where do you want to be? You want to be number one. So, yeah, nice problem having that pressure. You and like being number one. Oh, well, who wouldn't? I mean, you want to be climbing up the hill. You will be sitting on top of the hill looking at everybody. So, yeah, Osaka, I think she's learned a lot from this. And hopefully next time she gets to number one, which I think she will again, she will yes, own it more. Let's keep in mind, Osaka won the Australian Open. Barty won the French. Halep won Wimbledon. We don't know. Someone, it's going to be somewhat different. For the third, <laughs> or same. For the third, Williams. <laughs> for the third season in a row on the WTA Tour, we will have four, four different. different Grand Slam champions. Yeah. These players just aren't able to back it up. And we, it was great that Osaka was able to win the U.S. Open and the Australian Open, which it is back-to-back. -back. I know it's in different years. But I don't know. It's a, these players aren't able to play their best major after major. Can you so, teach someone to love being number one? To uh, can yes. you teach that? I, I, I think so. You just have to uh, kind of say, again, nice problem. Pressure is a privilege. And, yeah, what an opportunity to get there and then stay there. All right. Martina, Lindsay, thank you very much. We're going to take another break. John Wertheim's stat of the day is coming up. It's a good one. It is? What is it? Back on Tennis Channel Live, the weather was, boy, there was there were some rough scenes over at the Unisphere yesterday, a lot of rain. It's a beautiful day today, no rain in sight, and that's good news. Lindsay Davenport promises that this could be the greatest John Wertheim stat <laughs> of all time. That's pressure. No pressure. So let's see it. About a six, number of games required to win most sets. Um, no, we can do better than that. I want to piggyback on something you just said. You were talking about the three straight years with four different major winners. Okay. Here's sort of a corollary to that. We have set a record here. We have uh, three rounds to go already. We have set a record, 13 straight majors without a woman defending her title. Obviously, with Osaka losing yesterday, that's a bit of history. Serena back-to-back -back Wimbledon's three years ago was the last time. But I, I view this as a positive. I mean, I think that there are a lot of capable players. Look, if you want ritual, predictable excellence, you got men's tennis. Women's tennis is much more up for grabs. I think the two tours play well off each other. But we talk about how wide open these fields are. There is some statistical evidence. 13 times now the winner of one major has not come back to the subsequent year and defended her title. Yeah, but, well, don't you want to see some one of these women 
take a major and then grab it by the scruff of the neck and yeah, keep going? We, we, Come on. Yeah, we want. And rivalries. I want a real rivalry. We want rivalries. We want champions yeah. that continue to win. I think John's right. The parody makes it fun. We don't know what's going to happen. I think we need to drag Martina and Lindsay back up here to ask why it's like this. Right. Th those guys we, have won. We don't have time today. We can't find them. We'll <laughs> get them next time. <laughs> the thing is, I, I think it's so challenging for the newcomers to win, feel comfortable there, and then do it again. Remember Melody Udan? Uh, this was a remarkable run she had here, beating along the way Maria Sharapova, John. Yeah. She got to the quarters. Remember, believe she wrote uh, on her shoe at the time 10 years ago. Wow. That's amazing. That's something. Uh, a lot of people write on their shoes. What now. else we got? Maybe it started this with guy was something. good. Boy, was he good. And yesterday. it's oh, Gabriella wow. Sabatini, the 1990 champ here, who served and volleyed against Steffi Groff to win the U.S. Open, who congratulates. I mean, that really was Country kind man. of fun to watch. Oh, that's great stuff. Now yep. into the final eight. Paul, you do Spanish? Un, un poquito. Trans, translate that. <laughs> Where is... What about this? What about this one, Paul? All four... Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> All right. What do you think? That is a good dig. That's uh, Now he plays huh? six-foot-three-inch Grigor Dimitrov. Yeah, this will be a battle tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to see a lot of similarities. That guy's probably going to be closer to the baseline during most of the rallies, so watch that at home. Four yeah. opponents under six feet. Yeah. You, sir, are owed a Riley Opelka one of these days <laughs> to compensate for that. But, no, it's interesting. I mean, you've, you've got to change your game for the opponent, and uh, that's an interesting that's an interesting stat. Yeah, he's been playing groundhuggers. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. One more break and some final thoughts from our ball club when we come back. Back on TC Live, no doubt that the rocket shot of the day was going to be the banana hook forehand around the net post from Nadal. Well, Nadal had about two inches to go to the side of the uh, post and had to go just curl it inside the sideline, had to be deep enough. Fantastic stuff. Reminds me of when Federer hit the one between the legs against Djokovic and then finished it off with a winner on the next shot. This gave him a match point. Lights out. Look at that. Why is that so hard? You don't even need... I mean, a net. Tennis is much easier yeah. when the net is not part of the equation. Yeah, Fed hit one of these last year against Kyrgios. People went gaga for that one. A little bit more of that last night. All right, we're just about done on this Tuesday. Time for match points from our crew. Parting shots as we head into the quarterfinals. John, would you lead us off? Uh, my final thought, I have a one-word final thought, and that is tennis. All right, Great I'll, thought. I'll expound about that. Wow. Uh, think about what we've seen here in the last <laughs> 24 hours. We've had teenagers. Tonight we have two players, Roger and Serena, combined age of 75. We've had players from all six continents. We had five foot six inch Diego Schwartzman beating six foot six inch Sasha Zverev. Players who play differently, who look differently. We get caught up in minutia. Sometimes we step back. This is a pretty awesome sport. Well said. Thanks. <coughs> Well said. <laughs> Serena Williams played Maria Sharpa first round. The next four matches are against people that she's never played against before. Next time, the order will be restored against either Svetlana or Conta. But amazing to, to play this long and not have, ever having played these players. That's why Martina was Sorry. such a great athlete. She can speak <laughs> without breathing. It's, it's really <laughs> quite, quite, not quite. quite something. Jim? I'm thinking about the American Dennis Kudla, who had such a wonderful U.S. Open tournament. Last Friday, he got to play on Arthur Ashe Stadium against Novak Djokovic, and he played really well. He didn't win the match, but he won 90 valuable ranking points. That'll help keep him in tournaments like this. And 
He's off this week down the road in New Haven at the Oracle Challenger. There are 48 players competing down there for 125 ranking points. These are the tournaments that a lot of the players rank 70 to 150 play in to try and keep their rankings high enough so they get straight into the main draw and they earn that $58,000 minimum check. Dennis Kudla made $163,000 for making the third round here at the U.S. Open. That's wonderful. Hi, Martina. <laughs> and <laughs> the entire 48 players in the men's draw, and there's a women's draw as well, playing for the same amount of prize money, $162,500 nah. less than what they would make for the third round. So that's the way tennis works. You, you use those small tournaments to get to the big paydays here. So he could subsidize the entire tournament with his third round winnings. That's what you're saying. Yes. I, I don't think the but, Oracle Challenger Series right. needs subsidizing from Dennis Kudla. Jim's point is well taken, though. Uh, play right. for the points, and then you play for the money. Couple extra seconds. Uh, Medvedev and Stan. What do you expect from the match? What do you expect from the Ash crowd relative to Medvedev? Day crowd, right? So a little yeah. bit different, yeah. perhaps. I think about 95% of them for Vavrinka and maybe 5% for Medvedev. But uh, yeah, I mean, it stands match to win or lose. So I'm, I'm going for Second the time they played, but this is the first time Stan's played him with a healthy body. They mm -hmm. played a couple yeah. of years ago when Stan was really suffering with the knee. So um, Medvedev's played a lot more tennis. I, I expect that Stan should be able to bully him. But Medvedev has found a lot of energy from the audience. Can he regain that today when he needs it? I do suspect Medvedev was relieved when he saw the schedule. He's played a lot of tennis. He's going to be out there during the day. On the other hand, that is not going to impact the crowd the way he had to deal with. He played that extra set against Kepfer. Is that one of these things where you conserve your energy? You played a lot of tennis all summer. You get into these majors. You really want to get done in best of three. We know about Stan. Stan's fitness. It's unbelievable for yeah. a guy coming back from two I, I don't think that Medvedev would trade what he's done this summer, nor should he right. for right. better fitness coming into the U.S. Open. But fitness was a factor when he played Novak Djokovic in the fourth round of the Australian Open. They played an absolute war. That was the toughest match for Novak all tournament there. So, look, they kind of the bigger over under how much tape is Medvedev going to have on his body when he walks onto the court? He's had all, his groin all strapped up from the cramps, the shoulder strapping. Maybe just don't strap the mouth. We want to see that post-game. Here, here. We talk about three out of five physically, but mentally and emotionally it takes so much more out of you because you have to concentrate that much longer. Nobody's used to it until they do it. So it'll be interesting. Medvedev's never been in this position before. Only two out of the three members of the big three made the quarterfinals, but symbolically in costume, they're all still here. All right, Dad. Who is the best? And Novak's in the Hamptons right now. I had a friend uh, shoot me a picture of him with some kids out there. He's already on, uh, got his feet up, relaxing. Already on the a well-earned vacation for Novak. He has, after all, won four of the last five majors prior to this. And so, as those, oh, nice one-handed backhand from the Roger guy. <laughs> uh, some images of the guys who will be playing coming up after we remind you that you can watch live match coverage starting at noon Eastern time on ESPN. Tennis Channel will have encore coverage of the day's best matches beginning at midnight Eastern and we will be back for TC live with you 8 a.m. three more hours tomorrow. Well interesting quarterfinals coming your way today. Alina Svitolina is the only top 10 player left in the women's draw besides Serena Williams. Joe Conta is whom she will play knocked out the three seed Pushkova as she makes her third straight slam quarterfinal. How about that Vavrinka Medvedev match? The 2016 champ is healthy again. He beat Djokovic. Yes, Novak retired, but Stan outplayed him. Medvedev gonna bring it on from the crowd. Will they be on him again or will they appreciate him? 
for all he's done this summer. Serena had an ankle turn against Martic in that last match. Can she come back healthy enough to beat Wang Chiang playing her for the first time? Dimitrov has started to turn things around. The former top fiver is back in a slam quarterfinal, but he's got to play Roger. Played him seven times before, never beaten him. For Jim and Martina and John, I'm Brett. Enjoy day nine.